Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. From the resurrection of Jesus comes hope. Hope of everlasting life with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And out of our second Bible reading this morning from the book of Revelation comes a message of more holy hope. There is a new world coming, says St. John the visionary. Well, today let's take a look at that, shall we? All the Sundays in the Easter season, with the exception of Easter Sunday itself, have had a reading from the book of Revelation. Parts of chapters 1, 5, and 7, and the beginning of chapter 21 have been explored to various extents. And two Sundays ago, when we had a reading from chapter 7 of Revelation, St. John gave us a glimpse of heaven. But today we're much further along in the book. We're in our second reading from chapter 21. And here John is describing the end of all things, which is really a new beginning. And this time we're looking not just at heaven, but at the new world that is coming. Now we have to remember that the two are not quite the same. That may surprise you. Normally we would think of heaven as the ultimate thing, the greatest of all of God's gifts, beyond which there can be nothing better. When the Lord welcomes you into heaven, well, that's it, isn't it? Well, there's something to be said for that, but that's not strictly true, at least not as far as the Scriptures are concerned. Remember, Jesus said that there will be new heavens and a new earth. According to the Bible, the eternal home of God's faithful people may be heavenly, but it isn't heaven per se. It's what the Nicene Creed calls the life of the world to come. But what's described in the book of Revelation is the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It's a vision of heaven on earth. And this is how it will happen. Christ who came to earth once to suffer and to die and to rise again will come in beauty and in glory and in power. And at that time He will make all things new. The dead will be raised, clothed once again in bodies, glorified, perfected bodies, bodies free from sin, free of disease and aging and even death. The Lord will transform the living also to fit them for eternity. And He will judge us all. Those who by faith have received God's grace will be welcomed into the holy city, that city come down from heaven. And there they will live in God's presence forever. So heaven is not just the best that God has to offer, but in a sense, heaven on earth is. Now this can be a a dangerous concept, this idea of heaven on earth. And so we do have to be very careful here. Down through the ages there have been plenty of dreams and lots of ideas about heaven on earth. And all of these have become colossal failures, some of them even downright deadly. For example, you can take it all the way back to ancient Greece, and there the philosopher Plato thought he knew how he could build a perfect society. What you do, he figured, was to put philosophers, that is, deep thinkers like himself, 
in charge of everything. Well, fortunately, the Greeks had the good sense not to try that. And to provide yet another example out of many we could cite, in more recent times, Vladimir Lenin, who was springboarding, in a sense, off the ideas of another philosopher, Karl Marx, claimed to have figured out how to build a perfect classless society. Another version, if you will, of heaven on earth. But when he and others tried to implement such ideas, millions and millions and millions of people died. Dreams about creating heaven on earth have a way of turning into nightmares. And so we do have to be careful. And yet, don't we Americans have a persistent streak of heaven on earth building efforts as well? We don't actually call it that, though. We call it politics. How many times have politicians promised that if if only we vote for them and follow their programs, they would save us from this problem or eliminate that threat from our lives? As if they could. And then, of course, there are the religious dreams about building heaven on earth. There's never been any shortage of these, has there? Much of the terrorism in the world today even is largely inspired by such dreams. And yet, if we're intellectually honest, we have to agree that all kinds of crusades and religious atrocities of the past have been based upon trying to build heaven on earth. So what about St. John's vision in our second lesson today? Is it any different than all the other concepts of heaven on earth? Listen again to what he writes there. An angel carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Notice first, if you will, that St. John's heaven on earth is not made by human hands nor even conceived by human ideas. We do not build it according to our dreams and our schemes. And the sad reality is we cannot build it. That's what makes this vision of heaven on earth so very different. What we can never do, God does. Which is why it is heavenly. Which is why it is perfect. And since John wants us to look forward to this heaven on earth, this life of the world to come, he tells us a bit about what it's like. His description there is extravagant and very lush. Unfortunately, quite a bit of the section of text is left out of our reading for today, so... Let me clue you in as to some of what's missing right now. Consider, for starters, the size of this city. It's 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles wide, and get this, 1,500 miles high. If we try to put that into terms that we can somehow comprehend, think of it this way. Take an area that starts in Houston, goes out to San Diego, up to Vancouver, Canada, across to Minneapolis, and back down to Houston. Well, even that extremely large area for the base of the city is not quite as big as that heavenly city's base will be. And now imagine it stretches just as far into the sky. It is huge indeed. There is room there for all of us. This vast city is also a magnificent work of art. And usually works of art, they, they
they bear the signature of the artist who created them, don't they? Well, this signature, this piece of art rather, has the signature of none other than God Himself. We know this first on account of its perfection. It's a perfect cube. All of the measurements in this city are multiples of 12, standing for the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles of Christ. God also applies His name to the city and to its inhabitants with great generosity. His handiwork is lavish. There's no restraint there, but gift upon gift upon gift. No holding back. The jeweler's vault is opened wide and the walls and the gates of the city are set with precious stones. And these stones, like the city itself, are enormous. For instance, we're told that each of the city's gates are 450 feet high. And each gate is made from a single pearl. That's some oyster, huh? Well, John is trying to describe here the indescribable. It's a way of saying and informing us that God's extravagance to us knows no bounds. The Scriptures give us just a foretaste of this great extravagance when it tells us such things like Jesus changing water into wine at the wedding or when He fed a multitude with just a handful of fish and loaves. But later, in Jesus' suffering and death, we learn even more of God's extravagance when we remember how God gave Himself fully for us. He spared not His Son, but He gave Him up for us all. Our God is generous. Generous beyond all thought or anything we can possibly imagine. And the wonderful good news is in all of this that we will get to enjoy that generosity forever. In addition to the perfection and in addition to the generosity of God, it is also His mercy that makes this heaven on earth. The foundation of this city is the mercy of God taught through the twelve apostles, taught by Jesus. His mercy then enlightens the gems of the city, the precious stones, the gates of shining pearl, the streets of gold. And all of these precious materials, they are symbols for people like you and like me for whom Jesus died. Just as we are the building blocks of God's house in this world, sinful though we are, we are also the building blocks of God's house in the heavenly city, the one that will come down to earth. So do you see it now? Do you see and do you understand just how precious, how much you were worth to God? You are no longer just simple bricks of clay with hard hearts of stone, but you are the jewels of His heavenly city. Jewels are beautiful. They are valuable indeed, but they do not start out that way, do they? They have to be found before they can be transformed into something beautiful. They have to be refined. They have to be worked upon before they can sparkle. And so it is with us. Jesus buys us at great cost and great effort. He searches us out like a miner digging down into the depths of the earth. And there He finds us embedded in the rocks of sin, caked with the dirt of selfish desire, covered with the grime of our self-deception and our sin. In short, in our natural state, we are in the grip of death. Not buried with Christ in the cleansing waters of baptism, but buried instead in the devil's stony, cold claws. We can be broken free only by a powerful and skillful hand. And so Jesus finds us. 
He breaks us free. He brings us out into the light of day. He uses this life to purge us, to refine us, and to polish us as His jewels for the life yet to come. We call this process sanctification, of being made holy by the work of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we don't always like it, and yes, we often resist it. But God, who has begun a good work on us, in us, will, be, will bring us to completion in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what more could we ask for than this? What else could we possibly want than that which God has already promised us and already provided us? So forget false hopes and impossible dreams that we can somehow build heaven on earth for ourselves or that someone else has the answers or the ideas or the solutions that can provide such a thing to us. Yes, a few improvements are possible here and there. God has certainly endowed all of us with great gifts and resources and abilities. And through them we might serve our fellow man and bring the word of salvation to them. Achieving what we have been given as far as what we are capable of is a great thing. It's even admirable. And it can bring glory to God. But our ultimate hope resides not in turning this earth into heaven, but trusting that for Jesus' sake, and by His death and by His resurrection, God has brought heaven to us. Our final rest relies upon and belongs in Christ alone, in whom God gives us life for the world to come. In Jesus' holy name, Amen.